George Toteweed. Yeah. Absolutely, George Toteweed. Are you kidding me, man? He grew fields of that stuff, yeah. man. That's what I'm talking about. Fields. He grew that shit up in Mount Vernon, man. Mount Vernon, man. He grew it all over the country, man. He had people growing it all over the country, you know? Welcome to Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm your host, Jarf, and I'm excited to be back for this week for track 29 featuring Stranglehold by The Nuge. And our guest for this week is Justin Cox. He hosts the After the Deluge podcast, which is currently going album by album through the Bright Eyes discographer, sorry, discography, with a new guest each week. And season one was about Jackson Brown. Welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me, Jarf. Excited. I'm excited too. Yeah, I think that this is a fun track And this is the second time around for this song, so folks may remember that we touched on this earlier in the podcast, but we didn't talk a ton about the song. It was mostly just hanging out in Pickford's room and and trying to keep from getting caught smoking weed. So now it's back again, and the track starts with Cynthia giving her ratings for the decades, and it ends with... Slater sharing her observations about the dollar bill. So I I wondered in the midst of Cynthia's pontificating and Pink and Jody hooking up and Slater and his stoner rambling, was there a moment that stood out to you? Yeah, I was thinking about like a scene that stood out to me in a person and Cynthia's Thing about the 50s being boring the 60s rock the 70s are obviously bad maybe the 80s will be radical it was like i identified with cynthia there because that's basically what a podcast is that's like a pointless conversation that's a fun conversation that's a <laughs> yeah i i really identified with having that kind of conversation at a, at a social event oh yeah absolutely that was the same moment that stood out to me it was for a slightly different reason it was specifically her there in the summer of 76 saying the 70s obviously suck. (laughs) That's what makes her so relatable to me that you think that the decade that you're living in in high school is the worst. As someone who went to high school in the 80s and into the early 90s, we definitely thought it was the worst then. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I didn't I didn't register that we're like pretty much in the middle of the of the seventies. Like this, we're not even halfway through this thing yet. Yeah, I was I was in high school in the nineties, the late nineties, and so I think something about the late nineties felt kind of nondescript. It definitely felt like in my tiny little world, like everything was big and exhausting, and my little small town was boring and everything like that. And I think I was I had a lack of awareness about beyond that to me. Yeah, that's fair and not uncommon for high school. You said it was a small town. Where did you grow up? A town called Winters, California, outside of like Sacramento, Davis area. Okay, cool. That'll give us some context if we get into the whole Justin high school days. Oh yeah, it's it it's it's the kind of place where you have outdoor parties like this one with kegs. That are oh, like okay, cool. Filling filling plastic cups mostly with foam and stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you pick up on that too. I'm like, you haven't learned to fill a proper cup from a keg, man. What are you doing? Yeah, I know. I mean, I can identify with that, honestly. But had you heard of the every other decade theory? Is that like her theory or is that a thing people have actually said? I have never heard it outside of this movie. And she says it with such authority. It's not like, oh, I have this theory that every other decade, it's like a cyclical thing, whether it will be good or bad. She's like, it's the every other 
another decade theory. Well, and if you extrapolate it out, it is it is not a good theory because like I don't know, eighties were they radical? That's up to you. I was I was a little bit younger. Nineties would then be bad. I feel like the nineties were the last time the world didn't wasn't horrible because in the two thousands like start with nine eleven and then a finance. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. why would it? Why would it work this way? But it definitely didn't. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. The the 70s seem way cooler than the 80s to me, but that's probably just my own like personal aesthetic preferences or something. Yes, same here. And I think the main thing that they want to do is kind of dispel that notion that this movie is all about a celebration of the 70s, even though it kind of becomes it because there's so much great music to enjoy and awesome fashion. But I think that they want to make sure that they have a character saying that they themselves think the 70s suck. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, speaking of the fashion, was there a character's fashion and not just in the scene, but in the movie overall that stood out to you the most? I'm going to go with the scene just because it's like just a, it's this small moment. Like you described the three kind of main things that happen in that scene. And then the one little one that's like seven seconds is Mila Jojovich, Michelle lighting her joint with the guitar in her hand and just looking fucking cool as hell. And it's her. Yeah. Definitely style icon in this movie. And she started modeling at 12. So she, even though she was just 16 when she's making this, she already had a ton of experience of like how to present herself for the camera. Was there like a specific article of clothing of hers that kind of jumped out the most? Is it her overall look? Yeah, I think it's like the little thing she's got going with her guitar and her tightly parted hair. Like, I don't know, it just feels like quintessential, iconic, cool 70s person. Maybe an extension almost of the 60s even. If you Google her name and Dazed and Confused, the page is littered with that shot. You know, yes. like which I didn't know was gonna I didn't know was gonna be the case, but it was the case and and it just it's just cool. It's like she's not in any of those scenes, she's just there alone, sitting there while these guys are talking about like George Washington and Martha growing weed. Yeah. Not everyone can be interesting when they don't have something specific to do. So I think that does go back to maybe her modeling experience or just her general spooky aura. But I just imagine as they were creating this, they're getting all the main shots down and then they're just going around and taking B-roll of the teenagers acting like teenagers. And there must've been a ton of unusable stuff of just, you know, some somebody drinking a beer and somebody kind of stumbling as they walk and whatever. But somehow she manages to just look cool just sitting there with her guitar and her joint. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you could say is like what fashion and style is, is not one specific article of clothing. Like one person with the right attitude and use of it can own anything. Right. She's like owning that. And I say that as a person who doesn't typically do that. I'm like a pretty safe dresser, you know. That's a really great point, because if you think about someone else's fashion who's gotten a lot of love from this movie, it's McConaughey as Wooderson. (laughs) And if you think about a lot of other actors or just people in real life trying to pull off some tight salmon pants, it's not necessarily going to look that cool. Yeah, yeah, no, he pulls off being I mean, he pulls off being cool and this the creepy perv guy but the right the wrong in the wrong person's hands you're just a pure pedophile <laughs> right you know <laughs> he's amazing in it or just like 
trying too hard with those pants. I feel like is the, even if someone wasn't creepy at all, it's like, no, man, those pants are wearing you. You're not wearing them. Yeah, I feel that. Well, how about the song? I mentioned that we didn't dig too much into this when it came up earlier in the movie. I was kind of curious if it is specifically because that earlier scene featured Slater and then this is another stoner Slater moment. I wonder if it's kind of like Slater stoner theme or if you've found other reasons why they were using it for this scene. And did you think it enhanced this scene somehow? I think you're probably onto something with that as like the, the guy with a wide angle on the movie and how these songs are being used. I didn't pull that together, but you're right. That ties those two scenes together for sure. I thought about the song often. I kind of have a weird, I have like a, a Nugent connection which is not something it's a weird thing to say but um i had a first of all i think to say just because he's a trash person but i'm curious to hear what it is now exactly we'll go there all right so first off before i answer that because i'll come back around to this i think it actually absolutely does enhance the scene most things i'd say about ted nugent aren't this but i think that song is excellent and it's sort of like there are a lot of these kind of 70s late 70s uh rock bands that kind of like get them right at their beginning and they are excellent and they're not parodying themselves and and like i think like aerosmith and the very first van halen record like but those bands i'm not going to say they become bad but they become kind of like like you said like characters playing what band they are and jesus christ ted nugent becomes almost like nothing rewarding about him almost immediately after this but uh stranglehold is is so good and so so here's my my in high school, it's really funny because these people were in high school. And this was like, I think the summer after high school, I had a few friends over and some were going to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for college. And outside of that town is Paso Robles, a town called Paso Robles. And the Mid-State Fair is like the Central California State Fair, basically. And the music that year, and I went to college in Monterey, like two hours north of that. And the music that year was going to be Leonard Skinnerd, And then the opening act was Ted Nugent. And this is like Leonard Skinnerd with two original members and then one of the members is the brother of the original singer who died in the plane and so eight of us buy tickets to this thing and the very next day one of those two original members dies the bassist dies <laughs> and Whoa. then and then it was not refundable tickets my other friend bought all of them with the idea that we're going to pay him back so Le- leonard skinner's bassist dies i think he, they're they're all very old you know like i i sad for them and they anyway they canceled their their tour but they didn't cancel this show they just bumped nugent up to headliner and so now we're suddenly a group of us going to a ted nugent show which was never ever going to be the plan you know (laughs) none of us are doing that and they and some local band played before nugent we get to this we go to this show it was actually kind of worth it but just because of how ridiculous it is and by the way those first leonard skinner albums are great too leonard skinner's another band that's been kind of bastardized by not even original members of that band. It's terrible. But Nugent wore a he- Indian headdress, ran around, um, hung up his Les Paul like with uh, feedback ringing out and fired a flaming bow and arrow shot into it, sang a song about how Janet Reno could kiss his ass and a, a bunch of other politicians. It was before even things got crazy how they have are now, and he was so politically charged. It was like... Nugent really flowering into this guy that he was going to become. And, you know, I got watched it firsthand at a fair. And oh my God, it was very weird. <laughs> it was a very bizarre experience. 
it sucked. I will say it sucked. You just get so over like the the stranglehold rips and ha- is dynamic and is just kind of a cool groove. Just make it a bunch of worse versions of that for an hour and just constant him soloing and running around sucked bad. Yeah. And and just kind of like that performance was warning you of the direction the world was taking. <laughs> That's true. I should have taken that a little more seriously. I just was like, man, this this guy sucks. I'm going to go back to my happy-go-lucky life. And yeah, didn't happen that way. But he, and, but, but anyways, the... the what like, year was this? Sorry. I You know, I was trying to piece that together. I think it had to have been... It was somewhere in the 2000 to 2003 range. But anyway, I, I think the song, I, it's it's this weird thing where I kind of assumed Cat Scratch Fever and like was going to be his top song. But on Spotify, Stranglehold actually is the most popular by by kind of a lot. And then hmm. Cat Scratch, and that's next. And so that was like, a, that was like, made me happy. That was good. Because I, I genuinely think it's like a really good version of this kind of six minute, seven minute jam song that there's not much to it lyrically, but there's a lot to it groove wise and vibe wise and has this little breakdown in the middle and a cool ending to it and it's it's a guy soloing around sure but not just as like a guy like like in some masturbatory way it's like it's cool and yes i agree and yeah. i think it's and it works in an outdoor party environment like that i think it absolutely adds to that scene feels great yeah i kind of want a podcast series all about that <laughs> concert that you went to kind of interviewing <laughs> people that were there kind of a la the like woodstock 99 i think it was that that was my woodstock 99 <laughs> <laughs> that was your woodstock it started it started with the bassist for leonard skinner having a heart attack or something and then it only cascaded from there yeah. Well, so we heard a little bit about your environment growing up. If they made a movie about your high school days, what song would play on the soundtrack in your version of this scene? <laughs> I thought what what's funny about that is I thought about it like, I mean, I, this isn't the answer, but literally at the end of high school, I was buying tickets to a Leonard Skinner concert at a yeah. fair. So it, it like that actually was there. I think that's kind of ever-present classic rock, you know? And it, what's the next song? I don't know if it's the very next song, but the next prominent song during that party is Tuesday's Gone. So it's like kind of funny that like this party is that that lineup of that show at that fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but pro- I mean, I was definitely deep into to Nirvana. I was resisting. This is late 90s. I was resisting Limp Bizkit and Korn and all of that. I wasn't savvy enough with like finding good hip-hop so maybe like eminem a little bit i was a little young for nirvana but getting really into it and learning guitar and playing that a lot with my friends and operation ivy going back to new metal the band papa roach was from one town over and they were kind of weirdly gigantic it's always funny to have that that band that was somewhat of a local band yeah and so you have that little extra insider like i don't know if you remember the band ween yeah yeah Ween was from the town where my wife went to high school. And so it's like, anytime they come on, it's like, oh yeah, those guys. That'd be a good one to get some insight on because they are a weird one. (laughs) That's a weird one. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Papa Roach. Papa Roach was weird because it was from Vacaville. We saw them at a community center. They had like that main single, Last Resort, and they passed him out in our high school parking lot. Like whatever label deal they got signed to on the heels of like new metal, they put a lot into it. And because it was rap and rock and all that, and that was happening, like you could just hear it from car after car throughout the parking lot and stuff. It was bizarre and, and just huge. And then within... 
it was huge in a way that you didn't know like in two weeks it was about to be huge huge you know yes it's fascinating and then sublime i don't i don't want to put like one of your guests from that previous episode on blast but i was stunned that somebody didn't know not know a specific sublime song but not know who sublime is that's like ever present in my high school years Yes, but the, I believe that was Jonathan, if memory serves. Ha! <laughs> You've been served, Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Jonathan wasn't afraid of serving it up to other people, so he can handle it. Like, <laughs> he, 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 can, he can take it. Yeah, that's so true. So you mentioned Operation Ivy. That was one of the first bands that I was getting into when I was getting into, like, punk and ska. And I was just curious because... They, I mean, their heyday was probably the early 80s, I think. And so I'm just curious if you remember how you were introduced to them. That's uh, definitely not, definitely not in any kind of semblance of real time. That was, I think they were like mid late 80s when that, that one and they released one main album. But then I think, you know, I think what it is, is like living in Northern California, which is where they were from. And then Green Day came out of, and then you get into Green Day and then you hear about the bands that were playing around that scene it was like nine it was like gilman street in uh berkeley oakland mm-hmm. and operation ivy was like a huge staple of that and then some of the members went on to be in rancid or whatever I, I think it was just some sort of piecing together of like who's this one with that like iconic looking record cover and then realizing like oh my god this has 27 songs on it and they're all awesome played that so much at outdoor parties and I, I, t- I remember taking a camping trip with a bunch of my friends and I was just having stereo in the background and we'd like recorded a lot of it recorded video of a lot of it and you would hear these bands I just mentioned a lot on there and Operation Ivy probably the most wait so you were making home videos on this camp on this camping trip we did we did uh like I, we weren't going out to just every like orchard party and filming them and stuff like that but on this camping trip we we had a camera we made a little fake movie and we just filmed each other a lot. I mean, this is real. This is this is real similar to kind of this vibe where you have the people who are partiers and then you have the people who are drinking for the first time, really. And you have the this was just guys that trip. So there wasn't any of the like, like this was seven straight guys. And so there was none of no romance to it. Maybe talking about girls from school and stuff, but just filming people being really dumb in that and dumb and kind of sorting out all that stuff is fun oh yeah so fun i mean last week i was talking with my friend josh about if tiktok had existed when i was in high school i can't imagine the amount of (laughs) embarrassing content that would be on the internet right now because we made home movies that were so dumb i made a music video for ramones rock and roll high school with us like skating down the hill by the school and and like playing air guitar by the big monument to our high school mascot, the Newport Buffaloes, just us up there jamming. I hope that the tape does does not like <laughs> exist anywhere because I'm sure that I would be mortified. Yeah, yeah. I think if TikTok was around back when you were doing that, you'd have been a star. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe, uh, yeah. I was born too early. What what is tr- what is true that the fact that you were doing that then is the reason you're making a podcast now, right? That's like like doing these kinds of things is like an enjoyment of stringing together thoughts and ideas and stories and stuff like that. It's fun, you know. Oh, there is absolutely a through line. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I can and can't say on this. I can't remember. And this is like a little bit embarrassing, but it gives you a semblance of the time and place that we took that trip, both in terms of the world and the people on the trip. But we made a movie called The Beer Bitch Project. 
And so <laughs> okay, what's so what's the pitch for this? I mean, we didn't we didn't write it. We made it up scene by scene, and the beer disappears, and then it's like, uh, find out who <laughs> find out who took it, and slowly people are just individually dying. We don't know who's doing the killing. It's terrible, but it's fun. <laughs> Wow, amazing. Um, so that's my challenge to listeners. See if you can find the surviving videotape of the Beer Bitch Project. <laughs> you will not find it. I've, I've ensured that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, so I think that this is tough for folks that music plays such a big part in their lives. So thinking about this scene and your high school days, you named a ton of bands. Can you pick one song, maybe a song that has a similar vibe or the song that's like, if you picture yourself at a party, that's the song? Yeah, let me think vibe, vibe wise. I actually did think of that. Like I was thinking earlier, like what song, what song or even band can I think of that like was doing this seven minutes of kind of loose, kind of shredding playing and and stuff. And I personally was listening to a lot of the Allman Brothers. Like I think the quintessential version, like the kind of the kind of like God tier best version of this of, of Stranglehold is Whipping Post by Almond Brothers, which is like you could say like Freebird or some of these other songs like that have solos and are long or whatever, but that's different. There's like a it's like a set of strummed chords and verses and then goes into that. Mm-hmm. Whipping Post kind of feels like this, and I was really I can't I think that would be if I was putting that on, that was just me with like my parents' records at home or putting it on against someone else's will. <laughs> right. um, in that in that environment, I'm not. I, I would do that. I would do that, but. Um, that's what the song reminded me of, which is like, I always loved, I love the Allman Brothers live at Fillmore East record. Cause it's like, it's like, it, it is like, like kind of some of the best guitar playing you'll ever hear, but it not in the way that's like the guy putting his, putting his, uh, foot up on the amp, like the Captain Morgan logo and just like knowing he's a God and looking cool. It's not that it's just, it just is using that instrument in the coolest, most interesting, unique way possible with a bunch of other really good players and singers. And um, I'm going to pick that. I mean, that's not, that's in the seventies, you know, it's not, it's not from the nineties. So it feels a little cop out like, but the reality is that it's, it's like two chord white guy, reggae sublime songs probably. Well, I think that that is a fair pick and you're not the first person to pick something from outside of their the decade they were in high school, because that is just the reality of what our musical experiences were like in high school, whether it was like the 80s and 90s or later, because just we have access to more and more music and 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 it is not so like dictated by the radio. And so, you know, I was I was listening to a mixture of oldies and contemporary music in high school too. So, you know, if I mean, if Almond Brothers is your high school vibe, it's your high school vibe. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a that's a big part of high school is doing that. If you're a person who seeks out music, right? If you if you're a person who just like lets music happen to you, which there are people that do that, and they're they're probably they have their other things they're super interested in. But like, I moved to that town in high school and was a little bit introverted, and eventually made my friends and everything like that. But I would go home at lunch and just listen. My parents were gone to work, and I'd just listen to a lot of their records and eat lunch, and that was like a big, a big part of mid high school. The other thing that I see in Stranglehold that I don't see in A Free Bird is it's just got this haunting undertone. Yeah. It gets it gets weird in the middle of it and it, and there's like some like dissonant notes and stuff. It's, it's I actually find it like things like that comforting. Like it could be like oh Ted Nugent like Fox News talking head idiot wang dang sweet poontang like just a joke all the way through and through. But it's like good to be reminded that like nobody is just in stone bad, whether tacky or evil or anything like that, except Ben Affleck's character in this movie. He's the only one. <laughs> <Right. bad>. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one who is just one dimensionally bad. And that's why you got to get a bucket of paint dumped on your head. Exactly. But yeah, I like the idea of like, you can say this Ted Nugent song is good. You know, I'm a little bit overly maybe guilty of that. Like I'm, I'm reconciling with a lot of my feelings about Kanye West songs I, I love, but you know, the song's the song, this Ted Nugent song is good. Um, you know, Ted Nugent, not good. Yes. My person that falls into that bucket is Morrissey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for a while, at least in this house, he was canceled. And then at the beginning, I mean, I shouldn't be laughing. This is terrible. But at the beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I are both working from home. And so one day I just said, you know what? I think that we're just, just during the pandemic, we're going to, we're going to uncancel Morrissey just for this house. <laughs> Because it just would, it's like something that calms us. It's music that we've loved for decades. And the thing is, he's never gone, he's never gone back into the can. Yeah, so. it's also very good, you know? Yes. And that's, that's the, so there's some stand-up comedian that has a thing that's like a little harder to throw away the Smiths records and the Michael Jackson records and the Kanye West records than the R. Kelly records and the, you know. Yeah. Nugent just feels like any dumb talking head talking online. Like he's as polarized and sort of a bad version of a reactionary rock star type guy. But that's like what half the country seems like they're like. Actually, I, I rescind that. I don't want to say that. I think Hillary Clinton said that. Gotten a lot of heat for it. But yeah, right. <laughs> it basically, like that's how people talk now, you know, polarized. It's like Ted Nugent is, is actually kind of like speaking on behalf of people he just is dumb yeah and people are parodying it especially or at least certainly the way they walk act online and then yeah and then specific politicians who are really trying to be as reactionary as possible that's that's actually i'm glad you say that that's exactly the point is like that's actually kind of what politics is now is just talking like he's talked for 20 years like janet reno kiss my ass is your song it's like that's basically what a, a political speech is now yes yeah 
Yeah, that's why that concert was a warning from the future. Yeah, that's that. A Ted Nugent concert from 20 years ago is now a Marjorie Taylor Greene speech. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. It's real good. That's uh, true. Well, I really enjoyed having you as a guest for this track. Do you want to tell a little bit about After the Deluge? It was really funny when you were introducing because I was like, in that moment occurred to me like, wow, Bright Eyes and Jackson Brown are about the absolute diametric opposite of Ted Nugent. These are like yes. <laughs> introspective singer-songwriter type <laughs> type people, and like environmentalists and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm halfway through a season of After the Deluge that's going album by album through Bright Eyes discography and just actually had a conversation with the guy Rob Harvilla who, hopes, who hosts 60 Songs That Explain the 90s about this song Bright Eyes played called When the President Talks to God right at that same exact time period that I'm talking about from the when mm. I went and saw that Nugent show, kind of post 9-11. So, so I, I weirdly, when we were talking about that, was like, oh, I'm back in that. I'm back in that spot again. So yeah, it's called After the Deluge, and you can find it on all podcast apps. And it's if you if you like Bright Eyes, I think you'll love it. If you don't know Bright Eyes or don't like Bright Eyes, 50-50 shot then. <laughs> well, I definitely recommend checking it out. I appreciate that. No problem. Well, thanks again for joining. Hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jarf. Loved it. Love what you're doing. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.